check, check, check.
living in a dead time. What being politically correct is popular. Let me turn that around again. We're living in a dead time where everybody's saying the name of God, but nobody wants to say the name of Jesus. We don't want to offend the Muslims. We don't want to offend the Jews. We don't want to offend the Arabs. And so therefore we crucify him of flesh. But I want you to know that there will come a time when every Muslim, when every Buddhist, when every Jew will have to get down on their knees and have to confess that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So I want every blood-washed believer to not wait until then. And if you've ever gone through something, you know right here that there's something about the name. Something about the name Jesus. Something about the name. Something about the name Jesus. It's the sweetest name. Good morning, everyone. God bless you. God bless you, and God bless you to those that have assembled in this place this morning. We come in the presence of the Lord. We come in the beauty of his holiness, for truly the Lord, he is our God. I bless him this morning, and I pray that you do as well. I pray that today that you acknowledge him in all of your ways, that you seek his path, and I pray today that you give yourself and yield yourself wholly unto him. For this is the day that the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. This is Sunday service here at Nation's Harvest. To all of you that are joining in with us right now, I thank God for you. I thank God for the names of those that I am able to see that are here and those that are joining us as well who may not have taken the opportunity to log in. Amen. We are opening this morning in prayer as I received calls this morning from Cleveland, Ohio. We're praying for the Hearth family there. Samuel Hearth is at the bedside with his wife, Pearl, who has been in the hospital now for four days. Um, condition as we know it is not favorable however our God is a healer and when we talk about being favorable that simply suggests that maybe that is all that the physicians can see but I need someone today to encourage Samuel by typing in right now if he's unable to see it, Debbie will make sure that the message gets to him and type in the words, God is a healer. Amen. God is a healer. Amen. 
God is a healer. So I thank God today that we are able to. Uh, there we go. All right, I had to. I'm, God is a healer. Amen. And I want Samuel to know that. I want Pearl to know that. And I pray that in times like these that we lean to the Lord and that we believe him to be just the healer that he is. Amen. As we are, as we are making ready now for our morning service and the presentation, uh, if you're having problems, I'm hoping that with the broadcast this morning that at some point things will catch up and all of the uh, disruptions will stop and that you'll have a good experience. Uh, I'm reading now that the video keeps stopping. Sometimes that has to do with your internet connectivity wherever you are. Um, but I'm hoping that we'll all be able to have a good good experience this morning. Amen. Um, we're going to have prayer this morning as I've opened and asked you to encourage Samuel um, concerning his wife Pearl that is in the hospital in Cleveland. Um, and I'm, I'm thanking you all for continuing to pray as at some point we don't know when, but it's not if, but it's simply when. But whenever, uh, God remains the same. He never changes. Um, and I know God to be a healer. Amen. I want to get into this, um, into our message this morning. I want to move expeditiously and use the time most wisely. Let's have a word of prayer. Um, I'm operating now on some limited resources myself with being able to monitor all of the chat. So if there is an issue, and I'm doing this, and the reason it's difficult for me is because I'm, I'm attempting to improve your stream by not running all of my resources here in my system. Um, long story short, if you have something that you want to get to me, uh, Cassie, if you're here, just text over and maybe let me know issues that we're having with the stream. Um, just text that in to me to let me know. Amen. All right. Uh, in case I don't see it um, in the chat, just text that over to me. All right. Uh, let's have a word of prayer and then let's move forward uh, in our in our morning service. Eternal God, I thank you so much for all things that are available this morning, everything being made available to us by your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the salvation um, that you have given us in giving your son, who is the great sacrifice for our lives. Thank you for giving him that in him we have eternal life. I pray, O oh God, now that as we assembled in this manner this morning, that you will bless God in a great spiritual manner our coming together. Uh, give us a word of knowledge this morning, the instructions that we need to proceed. I ask, oh God, that those that need direction, that they be granted that direction this morning. Uh, 
I pray, oh God, that those that are seeking answers, that they'll receive the answers. And then some just simply need to be consoled. And God, I pray that you will send them the peace in their hearts, consolation from you and being consoled by you become full. I pray this, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus. Now, as we move forward in this lecture, in this teaching, in this assembly, God, we want to walk away with something more than we come in with. Let us be able to adjust our lives accordingly. God, we're praying that this word this morning have cause and effect in the places in our life where we're experiencing the most challenging difficulties because that's what your word is all about is to make uh, be a light unto our, uh, our lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. So let your word be the, di the direction that we need. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. So here we are now. Um, we're, we're moving forward in, in our lecture. I'm just was looking to get some kind of feedback here from someone. Because um, I say, because I'm kind of operating just a little bit in, in the dark. All right. Um, so nevertheless, we're we're here, and I'm going to move forward. John chapter, Luke chapter. Um, uh, let's see, uh, if we're, where we're working, we're working uh, from John chapter four. I'm sorry. And we have been working with the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4. All right. I'm getting messages that some people are having some difficulty getting logged on. We just have to pray forward and press our way this morning. I'm not knowing why everyone may be having some issues, but uh, and I'm just going to maybe give just a little time and delay before I move forward. If you are here and you're able to text in, if you could just give me the state of your experience, maybe text in and let me know what your experience is. Okay. So in, in John in John chapter four, as we move forward in our in our lecture today, <clears throat> I, I want you to I wanna I want to start today. We've had this, we have we have gone through in John chapter four where it begins with Jesus. Okay, this is get one, so we got one person. In, in John chapter 4, you have your Bibles, and I hope that you are looking on with me that 
Jesus has been informed or the scripture, the text says in the, in the NIV that Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. I have given commentary on this opening statement in John chapter 4 as we discuss um, the depth of John chapter 4 and Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. As we open this, every part of this text, every word, every sentence, as with the entire scripture, is extremely important. In the case of John chapter 4, as we're giving critical study to this, it is important that we miss absolutely nothing that is presented to us so that we can gain a greater understanding of exactly what's happening with Jesus encounter with the woman of Samaria that he met at the well. Jesus, it opens by saying that Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard it's being rumored about. At this time in Jesus's ministry, it is extremely critical and my presentation to you concerning this particular text is because this is a time where more so than any other place that I have seen that Jesus states his purpose for coming as the redeemer of all mankind. I Yes, I present that to you. This, in as it is in other places, but here in John chapter 4, I can see it as I've given prayer and received such great revelation from God concerning this text. I can see where this is the paramount of Jesus being and expressing himself as being the redeemer of all mankind. Not just some, but all. Not just some people, but all people. Not just some nations, but all nations. He is the redeemer. He makes himself available. The approach in John chapter 4 is by way of metaphors. And a metaphor is kind of a rhetorical statement that uses symbolism so that you can better understand or that the hearer or the reader can get a better understanding of something that is more than just surface understanding but it has a deeper understanding. Metaphor is to use something as a type that you can better identify with. Like water in the case is literal, but it's also a metaphor. I don't want to lose you. Please stay with me. 
the well is literal, but it's also a metaphor. It has more than one meaning. Jesus uses everything in John chapter 4 to present to us a message of himself being the redeemer of all mankind. Why is this so important? Let me do that in a statement. We have, in our relationship with God, we have built our relationship with him and our worship experiences and our offering up as praise in such traditions and in such manners that it is not so obvious to all that Jesus is the redeemer of the world. We have, by way of tradition, we have religiously set up practices in the way that we worship and in the way that we relate with God that causes others to not feel so welcome. When Jesus's way to getting to all mankind is through me and through you, it is the Christ that is in us that is presented to others. Others can see Christ in us and can build a relationship with Christ through us. But when our traditions and our methods are set up in a way that it is not so welcoming to everyone, then it would be my conclusion that God would really have a problem with that. When what we have been given is such a great gift and we take what God have given us and we basically build our own little monopoly or we become selfish with it. When it was given to us, but we are not so kind and caring so that we share it with all, others and all. John chapter four, Jesus encounters a woman who represents in my presentation for this text, represents much of what we have set up today in our current society as our worship or church. The Pharisees that is spoken of in the very first verse, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees are also a group that represents our church or people of faith, or however you like to, uh, whatever you call yourself, a Christian, or a believer, or a person of faith, or you can even say, I'm one who have relationship with God. 
However you have labeled whatever it is that you have with God, the representation in John chapter 4 is, and what I'm in my presentation, is displayed here in the Pharisees, in the woman that is at the well, also the disciples. Now, you don't hear anything you hear in the next verse, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. The disciples are also a representation of or a type of what is now currently our nowadays church folk or believers or people of faith or people who have a relationship with God. I don't want to miss any of them because I think that we'll move to a different title so that it will make us be different from other people, but it's going to take more than a title. It's going to take some heartfelt sacrifice to set you apart from others who may be come selfish with what God have given to them freely. And instead of passing it to others freely and forward, they're selfishly and unkindly reserving it to themselves. Jesus uses what people do in John chapter 4. He uses the things that we do, the things that we practice in our Christian faith. He uses the things that we practice to move forward, setting clear his purpose. He uses the things that we do. Now, I had this discussion with my wife, and I said, you know, what I've learned from Christ since I've been in John chapter 4 is that Jesus never recklessly did anything. There was a lot of things that needed to be corrected, but he never did anything recklessly. He was always so caring. He could change the course of what people were doing that was so wrong and out of line without destroying them. I want you to think about that for a minute, even with our own children. Sometimes in an effort to correct them, we do more damage than we do good. Amen. Jesus didn't want to do any damage to people. He simply wanted to correct their practice. He wanted to correct them in their pursuit. The way that they were doing things, he wanted to make it better. He wanted to perfect it. That's it. Perfect it. Perfect simply means something that is incomplete becomes complete. So there are just levels and layers of perfection. Some things I perfected, some things I haven't. So thus, I'm not perfect. But there are some things that I have perfected, but yet I'm not perfect. Jesus is into getting us to a point where we can perfect some stuff, things in our lives where we can say once it was incomplete, but now it is complete. Once it was in error, but now it is with correct. Once it was hypocrisy, but now it is a truth. It was a lie, but now it is a truth. This is what Jesus is doing with this. He is not doing it recklessly, but with everything that is presented, everything that they are doing, he uses it in all of his ultimate wisdom 
with showing himself as being the redeemer, the redeemer, the one who redeems all mankind. And you and I, if that's not what we're doing in what we're calling our religion, our faith, our Christianity, if we're not here for all mankind, People, let me tell you the root of this lesson. I don't want it to be a secret. We got to get out of some stuff. We're going to have to perfect some things. And if we've been with the Lord this long, but we can still house hatred, animosity, envy, strife, jealousy, not only against those that are supposedly our fellow Christians, but those who are not, isn't it amazing how once the Lord brings us out of some foolishness, maybe we were once alcoholics, maybe we were once people who were liars, people who were deceivers. I don't know what our vice was or what it is that we so just trumpled in. But isn't it amazing how when God brings us out of those things, we look back at people and look down on them? What they are doing no more or no less than what we once did habitually as well. Now that we're in here, we're looking back like, oh, now we got a hell to send all of those people to. Well, where was, where was hell when you were there? I mean, when I think about something, if I were to just give it thought and I say, okay, well, they're going to hell for that. I would be too excited about the idea that I didn't go to hell when I were doing that. As opposed to being concerned about them being cast into hell for something that they're doing. I want to make perfectly clear sense this morning. We have set up divisions, we've set up divides, and our practice and our traditions are not fully given to the idea that Jesus is a redeemer to all mankind. We come to church and we feel like we've finished it. It's done. It's a done deal. It's over. We've done our just deserve. Now we got the right to go out here and judge everyone else because you sit up here and listen to me for half an hour or an hour. You can send from the president to the congressman to the governor to the police officers to the mayor to the, to the neighbor to your sister, your brother, whoever you're considering your enemy, you can just cast them and judge them because you feel like you have done enough to put you in a place where you can pass judgment. When you should be a constant reminder to everybody around you, everybody around you, if God saved me, he can save you too. I say this often, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. But when God does get through with me, that's when I'm going to come through perfect. But in the meantime, I'm going to perfect some stuff. These Pharisees are a representation of people that's always running around starting rumors. I'm going to fact check the Pharisees. Y'all know what fact-checked is. That means when you read it on Google, you need to go fact-check. But the only way you're going to fact-check 
is you got to go to Google to fact check. Now, you think that Google ain't going to fact check what Google said was? <laughs> That's just being funny. But I'm going to fact check this with the text. The Pharisees put out a rumor. Now, notice they heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, that's like someone trying to come and put a wedge between me and Cassie or me, myself and Janet or me and Keita or me and Chris. I heard that uh, Chris down there in Orlando and Don think he got it going on, but Chris got it going on better. I heard that Sam up in Cleveland and or so-and-so and so-and-so, they got it. Measuring in quantity. More. Y'all see the word more? The Pharisees heard that there were more being baptized by John than there was Jesus. Whew. Not many days passed that we don't do that. When we measure what people have, how much they got, how much they're worth, what they're getting, and we throw in these wedges, John, Jesus, who's baptizing more so that when this all comes unthreaded that Jesus going to go over and say, why are you telling people that I'm, you're baptizing more people than I am? You know, I'm just, I'm just saying. Because we will confront people about what we heard that somebody else said. Now, here's fact check. Verse number two. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized anybody. Well, there went that rumor. Jesus hadn't baptized anybody. It was his disciples that did the baptizing. So what you heard was all wrong. I could tell you some stuff that you heard about Don that you ought to unhear. A lot of things that you're carrying around right now with the way that when you come in the presence of other people and the way that you act around them, you need to unhear it. Because of what you heard, because of what's being rumored about. Now imagine when you start these kind of things, it causes what is called dissension. Meaning that things start to deteriorate. They go from bad to worse it's already enough that jesus is coming to save mankind without these kind of rumors i heard i heard pastor hurt got that store down there and um he sell beer and wine vapes and alcohol that's what i heard well let me help you fact check i do you didn't have to hear it you could have asked me and i could have told you the facts if they had have asked Jesus, Jesus could have told them, I didn't baptize anybody. The disciples did. It's not the meat of the message. It's the rumor. It's what you heard. It's set and put in place to do damage, to cause a dissension, to tear it up. Because people most of the time don't know what to do with what they heard. 
<laughs> so we see the metaphor. We start seeing this unfold. We see that there's a deeper meaning. Jesus proceeds. Verse number three, he left. Okay, looks like I have more batteries now. Okay. All right. And we're back. Okay. So, as we move forward, Jesus, as they're rumoring this, he proceeds. Now, let me give this to you while I'm right here. Make sure that I have volume back okay yeah I'm back here okay <clears throat> you can't let rumors and what people are saying stop you from moving forward in what you've been assigned to do the rumors can work for you I teach that press which is talk it works in your favor if you keep moving if you be persistent talk be it good or bad talk and you don't give attention to it because people will talk even if it's bad talk it works in your favor because it gives the attention that is needed to something that God wants to reveal The truth is going to come forward, but let the talk start. The woman who had the issue of the blood of blood, people talked about her for 30 years. So when she was healed, everyone that had talked about her knew that the woman who bled is not bleeding anymore. What happened? At the question of what happened, the truth will be told, Jesus healed her. 
She was talked about based on her condition. We don't even know her name. She's the woman with the issue of blood, the woman who bled. But we had to talk about her bleeding so that we could know that Jesus healed her. I'm, I'm hoping you get, you're getting the understanding here. You can carry on and on and on about Don, but just the very discussion, just the talk itself will have people talking when God moves in to do what he's about to do. And the more people talk, the more people that are going to have an opportunity to see the manifestation of God's power in your life. All right. He doesn't stop because people are talking and respond to such ignorance. But again, that's what church people do. That's the representation here. That's what they do. But when you are truly the redeemed of God, when you're truly that child who has that relationship with God, I don't know what you want to call yourself. I'll tell you why I have a problem with saying that I'm a Christian. It's because every time someone wants to prove a point and they feel like they're losing in the argument, they want to pour out that I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I do so and so. I don't. Why would I steal? I'm a Christian. What? Why would you steal if you were a sinner? When you, before you were saved, you didn't bellow out when you get ready to prove a point. I'm a sinner. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't steal because I'm a sinner. Why is it so important? What does being a Christian have to do with it? Why are you using this as leverage? Why is it so important to say, I'm, I'm, sa I wouldn't, I'm saved. You, you don't, you don't because you're saved. You don't because you're saved. You don't really. Jesus does not let what people are saying and the leverage that they are using to make themselves look better by putting in these little condescending, these little descending statements about Jesus and John. He keeps moving forward, but he uses it. This is a good time for me to move. So he left Judea to go back to Galilee. Now, is everybody listening? The route that Jesus takes is so important because no Jew will go from Judea to Galilee and go through Samaria. You remember that for the rest of your days. Anytime you hear sermons, anytime you hear reading and you read this, I want you to go back. Jews did not go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. Jews were too good to go through Samaria. Samaria was unclean. Samaria was the lower class. Samaria was the underprivileged. They were like, during the days of slavery, they weren't whole men. They were only fractions of men. No Jewish person would have gone through Samaria. And the text wants you to know this. And I, I encourage you to go and fact check. 
Jesus told his disciples himself, go not in the way of the Samaritans. He had instructed them, don't go that way. Don't, meaning go around, avoid them. Avoid them. You think of anybody you're avoiding? Because you're just too good? Think of anybody that you're avoiding because they're second rate? Think of anybody that you're avoiding because they don't have what you have? They're not in your class? You all bougie and savage? And they all wretched and undone? Think of anybody like that? You avoid them? What conversation do they have with you? Why would you even talk to them? Now, you're a Jewish person, and, and here is where the seat of all of being close to God is. And you're a Jewish person, and you're representing God, who is the creator of all. But in your religion, as a Jewish person, you avoid Samaritans. Wow. Y'all going to have to help me with that one. I don't, I don't fellowship with them. I don't, I don't, I don't go out. I'm too, I'm, you never catch me with them. I don't know how you do it. Now he left Judea to go to Galilee. I'm, I'm talking right now. I'm doing geography. He goes from here to here. And the most direct route would be this way. But if you were a Jew, you went this way. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Jesus, why would you have to go through Samaria when you're not supposed to go through Samaria? Because if you, read, if you will read and you will study, you will discover that he would have been ceremonially unclean by just by going through Samaria. Ceremonially unclean. Meaning that if he went through Samaria, by the time that he got down to Galilee, he would have to go through some special ritual to cleanse himself just because he went through that land. That's right. Ceremonially, he would have been unclean. Now, Jesus, you're going to go through Samaria. But he said he had to go. Why? Because his commission pushes him through. Lawfully, he shouldn't go. But spiritually, he had to go. He went through Samaria. He came to Sakar. There's a lot here, but let me sum it up by saying this. Specifically, he had to go by where the seat of the Samaritans' religion was or is. Jacob's well is still where it was today. It's still where it was then. This well that we're speaking of in John chapter 4 still exists to this day. Now, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 
Jacob represents the first five books of the Bible, which is the old religion. And the Samaritans were holding on to what was old while the Jewish people held on to what was new. The children of Israel. I just want you to see the division again here. The Samaritan woman represents the lower class of God's who God created. The Jewish is the creme de la creme. These are those Christian folk that drive big cars and live in big homes out in big suburbs and got all the money. And when they put a scripture on the back of their license plate, they got it like that with God. They are blessed and highly favored. And their lifestyle shows it that I'm good with God because I got this and I got that and I got this and I got that and I can do this and I can do that. The Samaritans represent those people that I'm coming up the rough side of the mountain trying to hold on. Here I am, Lord, body bent, body bowed down. Both acknowledging God, but so divided. The Samaritans and the Jewish people. Are y'all hearing me? But the Jewish people still reserve their right to worship God, though they didn't have all of that. Though they didn't have the pedigree and the prestige, though they didn't have all of the bougie lifestyle, they still worship God. Now, you can take that in that fashion or you can take it right in your household. Sometimes people in your family, y'all got some of them I have to be careful. I'm just generally using Joneses, okay, or Smiths. Or I could say Hurst. You know, you got some of them Hurst that's better than the other Hurst. <laughs> some of them Pattersons, they better than the other Pattersons. That's ooh, that's the we we the good one. Them ain't those are the those are the lower class ones. We the big Joneses. They the little Joneses. We both worshiping God, but your worship is much lower than their worship. Are y'all still here with me? Somebody say amen. Y'all listening hard. <laughs> but y'all don't have anybody like that in y'all family where people think that they are better than you. Y'all don't have people like that. Y'all got the same grandparents, but some of them just better than others. Now, let me talk to you, even though you know you have people like that, you let actually what they do and say stunt you from going on with what you've been commissioned to do, your assignment. But I hope that you learn from the day. Let them say what they want to say. Keep moving forward through you. Let God be seen. So Jesus decides in verse number six to get tired. Jesus, you could have got tired anywhere, but you chose to get tired here. Oh. In my commentary on this, there are times that I can be real busy, but then there are times that I can just have all the time in the world based on what God wants me to do. Jesus knows that this is a good place for me to stop. It says he was tired from his journey and he sat down by that well. Jesus knew very well what that well was. I'm not about to read what you all are writing in this over here because y'all over here, 
y'all studying, learning, and laughing because I just see Cassidy and put his them Smiths and them Pattersons. That's all right. I'm finna move on. I'm not gonna get stuck there. But I just want y'all to know that it it's it's alive. You know it's here, and I'm teaching the truth. And we take that same stuff that we practice in our family unit and we bring it in the church house. That's right. You had you had you got you have had people in the church throughout these times. I'm telling you. But you're supposed to be given to everybody and others what God gifted you. But you come in there, you got your own seat. Can't nobody sit in your seat. Why are they sitting in your seat? Why are they here today? Y'all ain't never said that, have you? Walk in church and see something. What they doing here today? Hmm? What, why are they here? Why? No. Now, let's talk about precisely where Jesus stops. He stops at the well, tired. Y'all get tired lately? I do. And he sat down by the well, but he knew where he was sitting. Let me tell, let me tell y'all something. When you feel like you want to be tired, ask God, is it okay for you to be tired right now? And if he don't give you a thumbs up, keep working. And even if he do tell you to take a rest, keep working. You're never to the point that you take a break from being a vessel for God. You don't ever want to get that tired to where you can't continue exactly what the Lord assigns you to do. You just can't get that tired. He sat down by the well and he know what time it is. He know where he is and he knows what time it is. It's noon. Because he knows that this is the time that people from Samaria give worship to God specific times. If I'm a Muslim, I look to the east, and then I look to the west, and then I look, and then I pray. Rituals, traditions. He knew that they were going to be following traditions, and he knew that there was someone that was going to come to that well at 12 noon, not just to draw water, but to worship. It's just like Jesus knows that we're going to be in here at 1130 every morning on time. Sharp and ready. When the Samaritan woman come to draw water. I'm going to work right here and I'm going to try to really just get somewhere and close this. I don't want to just leave y'all hanging too many more weeks. When the Samaritan woman come to draw water, this is a metaphor. Water meaning spirit of life, word of life, life. She was coming to the well to worship because that's where Samaritans would come to worship because they had set up a shrine in this well because it was Jacob's well. The way we do it in our modern day is we say, this is how grandma and them did it. This is how we do it. That good old time. This is the way that it was done. It's holding fast to traditions you're doing it supposedly to worship God, 
but it's just out of habit. It's a ritual. You got to remember that the only way we could go to heaven was to have communion on first Sundays, and you couldn't drink that juice and eat that bread if you went to the club the night before, you had a drink the night before, if you said a cuss word this morning on your way. Now, we don't have communion on necessarily first Sundays every morning. And what, what we, I guess we all going to hell because we don't even have communion anymore. We do things and we hold them up and we had to do this and we had to do that. Look to the left, look to the right, bow this way, wash your hands up to here and do this and do all of that. And you're doing all of this in the name of God, I'm worshiping you. That's where Jesus wanted to meet this woman, and that's where he wants to meet you. He wants to meet you in the place that you're doing things ritualistically, traditionally, habitually, and he wants to know, is this what you're giving to my father? It's good for some, but it's not good for everybody. He told them, when you all come into this place, and you're supposed to be he says uh, at the Lord's Supper, he says, you, 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 you eat and you drink damnation to your own selves simply because you don't really honor God and you're doing what you're doing. You're just doing it out of tradition. You're not doing this to worship my father. So when you come in here and do it, this ain't helping you drinking this juice and eating this bread. You're eating damnation to your own souls. Fasting. I'm finna fast for 30 days. Then you gotta let everybody know I'm fasting right now. I can't eat. If you fast and you can't tell anybody that you're fasting. I done lost three pounds since I fasted. Done deal. You just going hungry for no reason. God would rather you push away from the table for five minutes in true honor to Him than to fast for five weeks. The pure in heart, not the quantities, not the numbers. We started with that earlier. You want to fast, you want to fast. I don't want to discourage you from fasting. If you're doing it to the Lord, you fast. I'm seven-day Adventist. I don't eat meat. I know some every time I cook that meatloaf. He told me to give him a little piece, and then he got to when it was time for him to come to our house, he wanted to know, are you going to cook meatloaf today? But when we went to their house, we had to eat macaroni and cheese and rice. Hmm? You're just putting up something for front. You're just putting something out there just so that people can, for what? For leverage. You, you just, you're so saved you're just too saved. He knew that she was going to come to that well because that well was a type of a false worship. You're coming here because you're actually wanting to come here acknowledging my father. That husband that he's going to talk about later, that husband is God. The one that you have now is not yours. Let me go ahead and put that in. While I'm talking about the water, the husband, we are the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom, which means that we are his wife. He is the groom. We're the wife. So when you start talking about husband and bride, you got to realize that that's the relationship between us and Jesus Christ. The church is the bride. He's the husbandman. 
So when you hear husband, it's a metaphor. It's not husband like me, Don, Cassie's husband, Chris, uh, Keita's husband, Sam, Pearl's husband, William, Lois's, I'm sorry, mom, Lena's uh, wife, husband, you know what I'm saying. No, not that kind of husband. He's talking about the relationship between his father and people who call themselves the church. Same with this water. This water is not only the spirit, but it is the word, but it is also, listen to this carefully, the water is the representation of the connection between God and humanity through Jesus Christ. Water of life. This woman came to draw water. I come to get a word. I come to give a worship. I come here to take of this water. Do you know that you're taking of water right now? Somebody say amen. This word is a bread from heaven, but it's also a water of life. This is the flow of God through Jesus Christ, through the spoken word. The water of life. This woman is coming to draw water. I'm coming to connect with God through this well. Somebody say, man, let me know you're getting this. She's coming to acknowledge God, Jesus' father, as her husband through the well. Jesus says, okay, I'll tell you what. You give me a drink. Now, let me translate this. Thank you for saying amen. When he says, if this is your worship, let me worship with you. Watch this now. Verse number seven, the woman said, the woman, verse number seven, the woman came to draw water. The woman came to worship. Jesus said to her, let me worship with you. Ooh, I know there's some people out there just smiling because you're getting this. Let me worship with you. People, the only time we think people want to worship with us is when they ask, let me go to church with you. But when they simply ask you sometime, do you have a minute for me to talk? They want to worship with you. When they ask you, not necessarily, and I don't want to bring money in this. They just need just a moment of your time. They just want to worship with you. They need to be forgiven for something that they know that they did wrong by you. And they're genuinely, they didn't say I'm sorry. But they said I'm wrong. They're saying, can I worship with you? When it comes time for you to sacrifice yourself, when it's time for you to sacrifice what you have set up as your belief system to give way to somebody else and deny yourself, that's worship, people. Oh, my God. You thought coming to church, sitting in a chair, doing like this, 
and telling people to say something and raise their hand? You think that this is really God coming to a pep rally saying, oh, I'm just so happy that all of these people. But the text says you cry, Lord, Lord, but your heart is so far from me. I want to worship with you. You ain't going to ever forget this because I'm going to say it one more time and I'm going to probably say it again. The Samaritan woman came to worship. She came to draw water. She came to acknowledge her husband. She came to be faithful to her husband, God, the creator, by coming to this well, by tradition, by a ritual, by a habit. Jesus met her there. If Jesus came to church with you and he was sitting up there and you felt like he needed a shower and what he had on wasn't appropriate and you look at him and you're going to say, sir, you can't sit in this worship. Because we have set up practices that has nothing to do with, back to statement number one, Jesus being the redeemer to all mankind. That's everybody. Can I worship with you? Can I worship with you? Can you forgive me? Is there encouched in your heart the space to set aside, make the sacrifice? How are you going to cry, Lord, Lord, with your lips and speak in tongues and then get with someone else and curse me. And I don't mean cuss words. I mean destroy my character. Destroy or attempt to destroy. I'm not talking about this stuff that we say. You heard what so-and-so did? Something like that. You know, we talk. You know, I'm not, I don't mean no harm. We really don't mean any harm. But did you hear? I do that too. So-and-so, boy, you'll watch. I don't intend for that to do anything. I'm not posing that to someone else so that they can start forming an opinion about them to dislike them because I dislike them or because I got a problem with them. I want you to have a problem with them because I don't dislike anybody. I just talk because sometimes stuff funny. When a Samaritan woman came to worship, Jesus said to her, can I worship with you? Now I want you to know that when they had church that day, Jesus and this woman at Samaria, he had sent all the other church folk away. He said the disciples had gone to town. At Nation's Harvest, I discovered that people that should have been mature for a long time, you get to be where you're just acting in immaturity and y'all can't get along with each other. So how are you going to be in here servicing the Lord and you're going to be in here doing all of this and we getting up making this presentation before the Lord in front of other people and y'all can't get along? It's not my time. It's her time. It's not his time. It's this. I did it this. I got to sweep. I got every time they come in here, they do this. They got to do that. They got to do this. Come on. <laughs> I just, y'all. He sent the disciples into town. They was not ready. They wasn't ready. He had to send them away because he's about to engage in a true worship. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would ask him. In other words, instead of you inviting me in to worship my father, 
because she, she ain't got it yet, y'all, but she about to get it. Metaphorically speaking, if you knew who you were talking to, y'all need to look around. Jesus may be in your living room. He may be right there with you. As a matter of fact, he is. What is he requesting of you today? He said, if you knew, you would ask him. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him. In other words, instead of you inviting me into the way you worship, you would have asked you would have asked me to invite you into my worship because I would have given you living water, living worship, true spirit. Not something that you're going to have to come back down here at noon every day, but wherever you are, you're not going to have to get a bucket. You're not going to have to get a pail. You're not going to have to do this. Look to the east, look to the west, bow your head, jump up and down, clap three times, speak in tongues, say amen, fall out on the floor, slobber from the mouth, yell, scream, sing six songs with the remix, preach five hours. I guess I better cut this short. <laughs> she said, number, verse number 11, sir, you don't have anything to draw with, and the well is deep. Boy, she, she in other words, you, you got to understand Deep, meaning the depth or the truth to my worship. I missed verse number nine, didn't I? Where it says, she says, I'm a Samaritan and you are a Jew. I, I missed that. And I realized I missed it when I started reading verse number 11 because I hadn't said anything commentary about that. She started off by taking the low road by saying, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and you know that you're better than I am. But at the same time, in verse number 11, she esteemed her worship to be much higher than his. I may be lower, but my worship is higher because I'm worshiping from like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of law. I'm the real thing. I'm the, I'm the, old, I'm the old genuine foundation this is jacob's well it runs deep this is true worship y'all doing that new contemporary thing the sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep the well is deep our way of worship is 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 with depth it, you can't just come in here shallow minded you got to get some prerequisites to be able to come here where can you get this living water she talked about her worship but then she turned around and asked him where can I get this living water now she has the big question are you saying that you're greater than Jacob are you saying that what you have is better than what I do who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his son and his livestock? Are you trying to say that God been good to us through all of these years? And somebody taking this challenge today because they say this stuff that Hearth is preaching now, man, this stuff is, 
Y'all better, y'all better get hold to the old-fashioned way. Y'all better get it. Y'all better get it right. And if you don't do it like this, you're going to hell in a handbasket. I guess you're going to heaven in a limousine. The woman said to him, now you got to see the transition in verse 13 and 14. Let me read them again, then I'm going to read 15. Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Woman, that's why you have to keep coming to this well. It's because it don't last. You're talking about how deep it is, and it don't even last. It don't even get you through your sickness. It don't get you through your depression. The way that you're worshiping don't even get you through the day. You can't put up with your kids. You can't get through a day's work. You need a pill to go to sleep. You need a pill to wake up. You need this. You need that. You Every time you turn around, you got to go back again. You there ain't, there ain't anything there. There is obviously something that is flawed because you have to keep coming back to this well just to worship. I'm preaching. You got to call me just to get a breakthrough. You ought to be calling me to praise with you, not always for you. Everyone who drinks from this water, everyone who connects to my father through this tradition will forever be thirsty. But whoever drinks from the water that I give through me, those who go to the father through me, I'm the water, Jesus says. That water will become in them a living spring of water welling up to eternal life. Simply saying, you won't even, just wherever you are, you can worship him right there. Let me try to bring this to a close. Wherever you are right now, you don't have to come to this church house. You don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You don't have to wait till noon. You don't have to do any of these things that you have done religiously, ritualistically, and ceremonially. You don't have to do these things this way, people. When you got Jesus Christ in you and he is truly the real husband, all of those other husbands, which are ways of worship, gods that have been set up that are little bitty gods, like your job, like your retirement, like what you own, like all of those, those are just husbands. Those are just things that are there to make you feel like you want it, feel like you're loved, feel like you're cared for, feel like they're being loyal to you. Those are, God says, if you drink from this, you will thirst no more. You got five husbands. Those are the ones that are in 2 Kings chapter 17. He names the five gods that she has to worship, being a Samaritan. You've worshipped. You've had five husbands. You have worshipped, and I won't name the gods because they're hard names and, and that one, but he, he named five gods that she had worshipped as a Samaritan. This god, that god, that god, that god, and that god, and now you're down here at the well worshipping my father, who is our god, and he ain't yours. And you know why he's not yours? Is because the only way through to the Father is through the Son. 
I know y'all are getting it. She at the well to worship his father, but Jesus had to get that correct. Notice he didn't destroy her. He didn't tear her down. He just lovingly had a conversation with her. Now, I'm going to show you how God did the rest. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Jesus later says one plant, another water. God had the increase. All you got to do is make the sacrifice. God will bring them in. You don't have to stay there and sweat. You don't have to beat them to death. Just let God go to work for you. But you've got to make yourself the living sacrifice. That's what he does with this woman. Verse number 15, she said to him, sir, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty again. Do you realize she just gave up Jacob's well right there? Two verses down, three, four verses down, she gives up that well. I'm not coming back to this well. I want the water from you. Now, let me leave y'all today. Y'all keep going back to that well. Y'all keep going back. You won't find me there. I'm not going back. I've taken a drink of water from the well that now there is a well inside of me. I don't have to go anywhere to draw water. This morning, this presentation to you has to do with the Lord ordering my steps, directing my steps. He challenged her that last time. He said, you go and you call your husband. He know what he's doing and she know what he's saying. It's like they're like the old folks now. They're kind of talking over our head. He said, go get your husband. In other words, why don't you go get maybe your other gods and bring them too? She said, I don't have any. He said, you said right, and the one that you got now ain't yours. She denounced the other gods, but she was still holding on to the well, but he wanted her to know that that's not yours because no man goes to the Father except through the Son. Jesus said to her, you're right. You don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you have right now, he's not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, you know what I like about this? Y'all catch this real good. I've positioned myself where people don't call me Pastor Hearth, Reverend Hearth, Bishop Hearth, Pastor Don. I've postured myself where people can discover exactly what God called me to be and to do. And I don't tell them, but they tell me. Case at point. I don't know Johnny's last name, but Johnny walked into the store last week. I think it was Tuesday morning. Don't know where he got his information, but he's been coming in there now for the last three months. And he says, aren't you a pastor? Or didn't, didn't you want you once a pastor? I didn't answer yes or no. I said, what can I do for you, Johnny? He said, I just need somebody to pray for me. He said, I'm having a problem with my transcripts. This is one of the students. Now, I don't know what biscuit he got in the morning, what coffee he got, what snack cake he got in the morning that said something to him. I don't know. Maybe he Googled me. But I never met him. But he said, aren't you a pastor? And I didn't have to answer that for the first time, and I felt good. I just asked him, what is it he wanted? He said, I just need prayer. I needed somebody to catch that. Me being an accolade means nothing. 
Not anymore. Never will be anymore. I've drank from the water that says, whatever God needs me to be, that's who I am. I prayed with Johnny. Johnny just needed his transcript because if he didn't get his transcript from Tuscaloosa, they were going to kick him out of the school. Next time I talked to Johnny a couple of days later, he said, all is well. Johnny came back Friday morning. He was looking for me. I wasn't there. My daughter was there, Farrah. He said, where's your dad? Where's Don? He didn't know that was my daughter. He said, where's Don? She says, he's not here this morning. She said, well, I just needed to talk to him. She said, well, I'm his daughter. What can I do? She said, oh, you're the pastor's daughter? Well, I can just talk to you then. He said, how do you know, this is what he asked Farah. how do you know when it's God's voice and it's your own voice? Because I've been like talking to God and I can't tell whether it's me or if it's God speaking back to me. Well, Farah said, well, you better wait on my daddy because I'm not the one. I'm not. Now, this is the funny part in the family right now, and I'm going to share with y'all, and I told her I was going to tell this. Farrah said, you don't understand how my life's at it. You know, I'm from the south side of the kingdom. My daughter told him she's from the south side of the kingdom. Y'all got to know Farrah. If it come up, it's going to come out, and the older she get, it's just like that. She don't mean no harm. She say, but you should really know because when God speaks, it's like no other voice you ever heard. That's what she shared with me. She wouldn't tell me this. She kind of told me because she knew I was going to hear it. She thought I was going to be upset at her. And I cracked up. I said, you from the what side? She said, south side. I need somebody to know today I'm from the south side of the kingdom. Glory. I'm from the south side. Now, in most cities, like in Anniston, it's the west side. In Decatur, it's the northwest side. In Chicago, it's the west side, which is that side. <laughs> But she told him, I'm from the south side, meaning I don't live like my daddy. Or I don't, she, she, you understand what I'm saying? She differentiated herself from somebody with a word of knowledge. But that's all he needed. God set it up. He didn't need to talk to Don. He needed to talk to Farah. He and Farah needed to have a conversation. I'm through, y'all, because I'm messed up now. Keita, she was just letting him know that if you're looking at me because I got it right, I don't have it right. And I'm not going to represent it like I got it all right. But such as I have. (laughs) Hey! Yes, sir. (laughs) That's all you got to do is become the sacrifice. Stop putting on airs. Stop being super saved. Nobody's impressed with that anymore. Just be a vessel. That woman went back to get her whole neighborhood. When she got back, the disciples were there. I'm almost an hour and a half now. The disciples had made it back with some food. Church folk ain't nothing but meal-minded. When they got back with the food, Jesus said he wasn't hungry. They started asking about everybody around who fed him. That's because church folk ain't nothing but meal-minded. All we want to know is where we going to eat. Where you going after church? Where we going to eat today? What y'all bring? Who made the potato salad? Y'all gonna have fried chicken? They having grits and chicken tonight, grits and fish on Friday night after revival. Are they feeding? 
When is the repast? The funeral is at what church? Where they eating? Meal-minded. People don't care about you that you gone to be with, with the Lord. They want to know what we're going to eat. So they can sit up and talk about who all shouted at the funeral and who all hollered and fell over the casket. They ain't caring about you gone. They just want to know where we going to eat. Where will we eat? They wanted to know their discussion is, now notice when they come back, they saw Jesus and the woman talking, but they wanted to talk about the food. Jesus, we is hungry, and we don't want to eat before you because that's the way they do it. We wanted to wait till you got here, and we're going to eat. We can't eat till you eat. Now, if you don't eat, we can't eat. I'm just, I'm just talking now. I'm closing. But that woman had went back, and you know what she went back and she told everybody in that Samaritan town? Come and see a man. Y'all read it for yourself. It said that we can't take your word for it. We hear you. But we got to go see it for ourselves. Now, they had heard that a Savior was coming, even back during Jacob's days. They knew a Savior was coming. Their question was, could this be him? <laughs> On their way back, they were coming back. Jesus had opened a conversation with the disciples while he refused to take their food. He says, my meat is to do the will of God. Y'all read it. It's right there. I'm in the text. You just read it. I'm going to tell you what's there. He said, my meat is to do the will of God. Now, y'all go ahead with that food somewhere. Y'all gone somewhere with that chicken, gone with them. Well, they don't eat meat, y'all. Gone with them cabbage and lettuce and all of that stuff. Y'all talk about that. You just, just, just look at it. You're, you're, you're here. You're discussing that. She's gone. And Jesus says, the disciples return. They were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because they want to talk about the food. Then leaving her water jar, the woman, look, she left her what? She left her jar. Somebody asked, help me, why did she leave that jar? Because she ain't drawing no more. I'm not coming back to this well, not for this. Oh, she coming back for water, y'all, but she ain't coming to worship. Woo, that'll preach. I'm coming for the, I'm, I'm coming to church just to see people because I ain't seen you no more. Come for that. But when it comes to worship, I do that everywhere I go. Tell the truth about it. I come here, child, because this is a good place for us to socialize. I ain't seen you all week. I'm coming to church for this reason. I'm coming back for water, but I'm not coming back here to worship. You can come to church to worship, too. Y'all get this. Y'all mature enough to, to break through this. She left her jar, which means that I'm not coming back to the, for the purpose of worship just for that, coming for water. She went back to her town. She said, come and see a man. Oh, that'll preach right there. I'm, I don't know, because I don't know when I'm going to be in that kind of pulpit sometime. I don't know, but if I did, I'd preach that. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> then the disciples said to each other, could someone have bought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish this work. That's the only reason I came through Samaritan. That's why I brought you all through. So that I could give you all a chance to put some of that crazy madness behind. Don't you have a saying? It's still a fourth month until a harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. 
Now, let me tell you right here, this is a metaphor, too. He's telling them to turn around and look at the people that's coming. They are ripe for the harvest. When they turn around, if they turn around, y'all tell me, who do they see? They see all of those Samaritan people that's coming back with that woman. <laughs> Watch this. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage for the harvest and a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad. In other words, this woman is coming back with all of these people. And guess what you all were doing? Y'all weren't here ministering. Y'all were going to get food. But you're all going to get credit for this. Thus, the saying one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Ooh, I'm going to dig into this a little bit deeper and I'm going to start right there. I ain't going to start from the top the next time. But I'm going to start right there. He says, I'm sending you out there to forgive people that your forgiveness ain't going to get them in heaven anyway. I just gave you the opportunity to forgive them. That's what he's saying. All I need you to do is get out of the way so that people can come to God through you without you passing judgment and trying to set up this little smoke screen because you don't want them to be saved. And people, we do it in our practice every day. I'm finished. Don is finished for today, February the 4th, 2024. And God, did I have a wonderful time. I thought I was going to come in here and be finished in 30 minutes. God has sent you out here, and people are going to come to God, to his Father through you. And you didn't even have to work for it. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits for their labor. Many of the town from the people of Samaria believed him because of what the woman had given testimony to woman preacher he told me everything that i ever did so when the samaritans came to him when they came to him they urged him to stay where are the disciples sitting up looking at all of these samaritan people <clears throat> but the disciples couldn't see it they didn't even realize that the harvest was right there you don't know that your harvest is around you you still waiting on God to answer your prayer. And God said, I done came through three months ago. You just don't have the ability to see it because you're looking through a natural eye. You're looking through the ceremonial, traditional, uh, 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 traditional ceremonial eyesight. You can't even see in a spiritual realm. You can't see what I have done and am doing. You're just like these disciples. You can't see the forest for the tree you just don't see how blessed you are Sam if you still on here Pearl may be lying on her bed today and the doctors may have done all but you better you better realize this God ain't slow in his hand and if any Debbie if you hear me you tell him what I said God is not slow in his hand and in the midst of this I want you to praise him because I'm gonna tell y'all something let me tell you now if you see me laying on a bed and I can't talk out of my mouth, don't let what you see laying in that bed fool you. <laughs> oh, my God, please, for God's sake, do not let what you see with your eyes fool you because what's going on on the inside, I'm renewed day by day. Even when my heart fell, I'm still ticking on 10. 
Come on, somebody. Don't let what you see. Don't let that fool you. Today, God is a healer. You better praise God with your wife that's laying on her sickbed. Because God is a healer. That he is. Don't y'all do that. Don't come shed no tears. I've given out some, some specific things about it. And don't think that I'm going to miss you because you don't come to my funeral either. Love me now because I ain't going to know nothing about that. If you got something to say, if you want to love me, you love me right now. So we can love and laugh together. And stop worrying about who asked you, why didn't you go to his funeral? And what they did and what they didn't do. I got high expectations of you all. Don't talk to me about stuff over folks dying. Because that is a whole nother tradition that's set up to destroy what we supposed to have in Jesus Christ. I'm finished this Sunday. I'll see y'all next week. I love y'all. Blood
Jesus. But I'm talking about you love him, you love him, you love him. Not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. Yes, Everybody, we're going to sing this chorus together. And even if you can't sing, even if you don't know the words, you can give God an oath. And that oath can mean to you whatever that oath needs to mean to you. Can we sing it right now? 